Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Going in our Bibles, let's go there to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and now we are in the closing section where Jesus is applying this sermon to his hearers. Today we'll be in verses 21 through 23. In the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the first two warnings. It's four warnings in this closing section. The first warning we found, and Jesus said, there are two ways. Beware of the way you choose. And you are on one way or you are on another way. There's only two options. And he said, there's a straight gate. You can't bring everything through. You can't bring every idea. You can't bring all of you. You have to come low. You have to humble yourself, come through the straight gate, the narrow way. But this way, few companions, leads to life everlasting. And there's another way, and it's a wide way, and it's a wide gate. You can bring every idea, every ideology, every philosophy. It just all coexists. You've seen that bumper sticker, coexist. That's on the wide way, but it ends in destruction. There's a lot of people on that way, heavily populated. The second warning that Jesus gave to us, we looked at last week, and he says, beware of false prophets. These false teachers, they stand at the entrance, and they stand all along the way, and they try to silence or confuse the message of Jesus. Oh, you don't have to listen to that. It's not all of that. Come on now. That's just much too stringent. That's much too strict. And so false teachers find a massive amount of followers, and they lead people away from the narrow way. Today we come to the third warning. The title of the message is Two Followers. Last week, two trees bearing two different kinds of fruit. Today we look at two followers. Next Sunday, God willing, we'll look at the two different builders, the two foundations that people are building their lives upon. Beware of false conversion. This is false professions of faith. J.C. Ryle, he says it this way, speaking of Jesus, he says, he turns from false prophets now to false professors, from unsound teachers to unsound hearers. So the preacher, the teacher, can show you the two options. I can lay out before you, hey, there are two ways. I can take Jesus' message and say, understand there's two trees. By their fruits, you will know them. Today's message, there's two followers, but I can't tell you which type of follower you are. I can't make you switch from being one type of follower to another. I simply have the privilege and the responsibility to stand before you today and open the word and declare the, the word of God and trust that the Holy Spirit will take the living word of God and apply it to the hearts of hearers and that change, supernatural change will happen in our hearts and in our lives as we yield to the Holy Spirit of God. I have a human responsibility and there is a supernatural 
limit. I cannot change you. No matter how much I want to, I cannot. This is the realm that God supernaturally works in the hearts of his hearers. So Jesus would warn, be careful. Remember the little uh, children's song? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see, right? Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Jesus would also say in teaching, be careful how you hear. Be careful what you hear and be careful how you hear, how you listen. That if someone is bringing to you the word of the living God, then it is important for us to listen accordingly. Be careful how we hear this message. If we quickly assume that we're just fine, that I hope somebody hears this message of Jesus, they need to hear this message. Of course, I'm the follower that's a true follower. Of course, I'm in. Caution, red flag, flares, danger. We all need to listen to this message again. We need to humble ourselves. We need to listen carefully so that we hear this message in a fresh and a new way. And we say, God, you tell me, what kind of hearer am I? You declare to me, what kind of follower am I? Which way am I on? Am I on the right way? Do I have a true or a false profession of faith? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. This is a sobering message. Perhaps some of the most sobering words from Jesus are right here. He says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's pray together. Father, we need the help of your Holy Spirit today as we hear the words of the Son of God, the Son of Man, the second person of the triune God. Oh, that we would humbly hear and understand and respond for the rest of our days in obedience. And we cannot do this on our own, Lord. We must have your help. I need your help in preaching this message. So I invite you and ask you today, help me and help us to hear well and respond well to this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Here Jesus warns his followers, and this is, a, this is a clear and present danger. 
a clear and present danger of false conversion. This is a shocking message. And I want you to keep in mind something as this message is delivered. Every preacher, every teacher that delivers this message, this isn't a message that is, I hope you hear this. Because then I would be in great danger of being the very person that Jesus is actually talking about. This isn't a message just for you. This is a message that had to weigh on and in and through me in preparing to bring it this week. I have to ask these questions. I have to work through this message. This isn't a message that I can say, oh, don't worry about me. My dad was a pastor. I've been a pastor over 25 years. You know, I, I have the right translation. I go to the right church. I'm good. No. No, we, we've got to go and li- we've got to listen. What is, what is Jesus saying? How do we understand and how do we obey? There's four personal questions that Jesus really, do you like when people ask you real personal questions? And they just like, you know, really get in. You say, how are you doing? I'm fine. No, really, how are you doing? When somebody starts asking, maybe, you know, you're not feeling well and people start asking questions and you know they love you and you, they know, you know they care about you and you start throwing up walls. You're getting too close and I don't want you any closer. Okay, Jesus comes in with a battering ram with these questions, but he does it like a, like a surgeon, in such a tender way, in a faithful way. He's the good shepherd, and he comes in with these questions that go way beyond the, you're getting too close for comfort. He's like, actually, I'm, I'm going deeper in these questions. And these questions get to the heart of kingdom discipleship. The first question we're gonna ask and answer today is who's in the kingdom? Who's in? Right, it's coming next. Who's out? Who's in? Who's out? It's quite simple, as Jesus is teaching, all who are converted, this is who's in the kingdom, all who are converted in righteousness. It's essential that there's been a conversion in righteousness. And Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You want to know who's in? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That is who's in the kingdom. That's who's in. So we look at what Jesus is saying and we understand then, letter A there, the entrance of faith in Christ is repentance. We're right back to the straight gate. We're right back to the narrow gate. We're right back to the, how do you make it in? You have to get low. You have to humble yourself. I had to understand I am a sinner. This isn't just a gospel that's good for everybody and all peoples. This is a gospel that I must respond to personally. And repentance is a 180 degree change. It's a change of heart. It's a change of mind. It's I used to think that Jesus was all right. He was a good, you know, good teacher. He was an influential follower. Uh, many people follow him. And then I heard the gospel and I knew the truth about me that I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. And the gospel is that God in flesh came and he was born of a virgin and he lived the life that I could never live. And he died the death I deserved to die in my place. He was buried in and he rose again, and he's coming again one day. And this is the gospel. How have you responded to the gospel? Repentance is a complete change about. 
It's not just an improvement on life. It's a brand new life. It's resurrection life. And Paul wrote that there must be a verbal confession of Christ as Lord. And that this is rooted in the heart, Romans chapter 10. Verse 8 says, but what does it say? Paul writes, he says, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, here's the promise. You will be, what's the word? Saved. It's really an old-fashioned word, but if you're in a burning building, you don't care how old-fashioned the word is. You want to be rescued. If you're caught, you know, don't drown, turn around, and your car's in the flood, and they come in and rescue you, you you say, he saved me. He rescued me. I was going down. There was no hope for me, and they delivered me. And that's what Paul is saying. This is spiritual here. This is your life. You will be saved. Verse 10, here he's connecting the heart and the mouth. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Your Bible might say disappointed, let down. Verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, read it with me, will be saved. And the question that you and I must ask after reading that, have I called on the name of the Lord? And the Apostle Paul takes the confession of your mouth and he marries it to the belief in your heart. And he says, this is where what is inside makes it out. If I love my wife in my heart, but I won't tell anybody that I'm married, there's a serious problem there. Like if, you, if it's in here, it's gonna make it out. And whatever the, uh, the abundance, out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. So if I belong to Christ, it's going to come out of my mouth. Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse three, how does somebody make this confession? He writes, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. No one can come to faith in Christ except the Holy Spirit resurrects their dead heart and life. He's not saying that somebody can't just mouth the word Jesus is Lord because then that would contradict what Jesus just said, that there will be people say, Lord, Lord. But that connection from heart, genuine conversion, and the connection to the confession of the mouth, it goes together, and this is only possible by the moving hand of God, by his spirit. So the entrance of faith in Christ is repentance, and Jesus is pointing out to us, let her be the evidence of faith in Christ, is obedience. It's obedience. This is the evidence of our faith. The faith actually works. The evidence. How do I know that I belong to Christ? Well, what is the fruit of my life? Do I hunger and thirst after righteousness? Do I desire the holiness of God, that that is growing and manifesting in my life? Jesus stated this truth clearly on many occasions. John 10, 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
Do you love and do you follow Jesus? Luke 6, 46, Jesus says this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Do you love and do you follow Jesus? John 14, 15, Jesus says quite clearly, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's just a natural outworking. If you love Christ, you're going to love his word, and there's going to be a whole new disposition in life because the Spirit of God dwells in you. Jesus illustrated this truth in the upper room. John 13, the night of his betrayal. Verse 12, John recording, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? And I think they all would have said, no. What had he done? Taken the lowest position of slave. The slave of slaves is the position that Jesus assumed in washing his disciples' feet. And he says this in verse 13. Do you hear the similarity now? You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right. For so I am. That, that's right. That's appropriate. Verse 14. If I then, your, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you should do, also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now listen to verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you, what's that little word? Do them. Revelation, there's a blessing to hear the word, but there's a blessing in obeying the word. We read it last week in James, the first sermon I ever preached, that their blessing, you'll be blessed in the doing of the word. It's not to be uh, taken out of that context so that if you use the name of Jesus, if you say these things in a certain way, then automatically you incur and infer the blessing of God on whatever it is that you are shaking that blessing at. No. You'll be blessed in the doing of the word. And there's no promise of going through life without suffering and without sorrow. That's a part of this life. And we look at Jesus and what he suffered and what he endured. And he was sinless, spotless, the lamb of God. So Jesus didn't just say, I want you to do this. He gave the example by serving. And then he said, if you call me teacher and Lord... That's good. That's appropriate. But what is it that you can ever be asked, that I can ever be asked to do that is to, that's beneath me? Oh, I, I, can't, I don't do that. I can't do that. That's just, you know, do you know who I am? You know, I'm the CEO. I, I built this company. I did this. I did that. Do you know how many degrees I have? No, 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 no. I can't do that. I'm sorry. Did you remember? Did we remember John 13? Well, do you know how many years I've been a member of the church? Did you remember John 13? Remember Jesus saying last, first, first, last? It's completely upside down. You want to be great in the kingdom? If I want to be great in the kingdom, Jesus says, serve, serve. 
Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The gospel of Mark tells us. So beloved, listen, we're not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works, and this cannot be overstated. I can never say this too much or too often. Like, I think he just preached on this last Sunday. And if I remember right, the Sunday before, I'm going to check YouTube. I think it's there. Why? Because so many people, they have the, the lingo down. They have the terminology down. They have the theology grasped. And yet, that's not a guarantee that they're in the kingdom, that they belong to Christ. We're not saved by our good works. We're saved for good works. And Paul explained this grace-filled salvation when he wrote to Titus. Titus chapter 3, and he begins in verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom, look at the pronouns, he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Do you hear how filled with the grace of God Paul is as he writes to Titus? This is what God has done in Christ for us. And Paul explains salvation when he wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2 and verse 8 and 9 we're so familiar with. And then we put on verse 10 and verse 8. It's by grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Yeah, but I was baptized. No, not by your own doing. But, but I took communion. I was confirmed. I, I was this. My, my dad was that. My parents were this. Oh, no, no, not by your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of a result of works, so that no one may boast. Beloved, heaven is not going to be earth on steroids. Oh, do you know what I did? Do you know how much I have? What do you drive? Where do you live? What's your address? What are your accomplishments? Let me see your trophies. Oh, no. Worthy is the Lamb. And if it was a result of our works, how much did you give to the pro building program? Well, let me tell you what I gave. Oh, you gave that? Never mind. Let's find a different subject. Yeah. Well, however it goes when we're comparing those lines until we're compared to the straight edge. And we're all found wanting. Verse 10. We're not saved by good works but we are saved for good works. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. That's, that's in, the, in the Greek, that's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. There it is. Not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. And there's a point to you being in Christ, and it isn't for everyone to just serve you. And it isn't to go and, and shop churches until you find the church that's consumerism. It's to find the place where you belong, where you can be part of the family of God, and magnifying the name of Christ to all peoples and all nations. That's what we're saved for in this little moment we call life. And we can either make much of Christ, and that will last forever, or we can make much of us, and that's a really small story, and it will end. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should follow him, obey him, walk in them. 
And John the Apostle would write in, 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 in his letters that, that, that his commandments aren't grievous to his children. Because I was on the road to hell. Everything is up from there. And I deserve hell. I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve heaven. And in his mercy, he saved me by his grace. So who's in? All who are converted in righteousness, not their own righteousness, in God's righteousness. Okay, so then number two. Second question, who's out? Who's outside of the kingdom? If we know who's in, then we need to look to Jesus and say, well, who's out? We see this in verses 21 and 22. It's all who are camouflaged by religion. So if you're taking notes today, you might get a hand cramp. There's some long words, all right? But they're fitting words and, and they're appropriate words. I, I thought about um, after turkey hunting this year, I thought, you know, I have a, I have a few camouflage uh, clothing items. And I, I thought about wearing it. I was like, nah, I'm not going to do it. You got the image, all right? Camouflage, what's the point? And as I would sit with Jonah out there and we're watching the turkeys go by, he's like, don't move, don't move, you know? He's like, Pull, pull, up the, pull up your face mask. You know, get it up. You know, we got to hide because them turkeys, they can see. Don't flinch. You bat an eye, they'll see you. So we're trying to camouflage. We're trying to blend in, you know. Everywhere we go, we're just trying to blend in, not to stand out. That's the idea here. Blending in in religious works. And Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. So these individuals, they come with an orthodox confession. They know what to say, but that's not enough for salvation. They can argue, they can debate in theology. They have, letter A, an orthodox confession of faith. They may be somewhere even today reciting a creed and they know the creeds and they go through those motions and they say those things and they know those, they know exactly what to say and when to stand and when to kneel and they go through all of the religious routine that they've been brought up in and trained in and they are very sincere and their intention is so well. They're missing something. It's not by our works that we're saved. These individuals that Jesus speaks of, Lord, four times using this word, the Old Testament title for God, Lord, Lord. This is intense. Their confession is correct. Their confession is even enthusiastic. Their confession is public. Maybe they look back to their baptism, and they look back to their confirmation. Or someone looks over a, a family member's life or a friend, and they say, well, I don't see any love for Christ in their life right now, but they prayed a prayer at camp when they were seven, so I'm sure they're okay. Beloved, we aren't the one, no one stands before us in judgment. We are not the ones that say, you're good, you're not good. None of us are good. And, and this is striking language that Jesus uses here. This is a very important stop. 
and think about your life and think about what you're trusting and who you're trusting. Think about it. Don't hurry on to the next thing of the day without missing this and really meditating on this. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus, uh, the, the teacher of Israel, Jesus said? Are you the teacher of Israel? The teacher of Israel. You're not understanding what I'm saying, Nicodemus. John 3, 3, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Who's in? Someone converted in righteousness, born from above. And Jesus would go on to say, here we are, you know, some of you have had a birthday this last week. Some of you haven't made a birthday today or a birthday this week. Birthday, in a, you know, August is a big birthday month. And Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, I, I see you had a physical birthday because you're alive. You're breathing, you're speaking, you're standing, you're talking, your eyes are moving. Maybe your eyes are closing, you're getting your rest. Whatever it may be, I see you're alive. But I'm talking about a spiritual birth from the Spirit of God. And it changes you. Just like life changes you, you move and you're alive. Spiritual life doesn't leave you passed out in a coma. It changes you. And your, our desires change. They have an orthodox confession, but that's not enough for salvation. These individuals have a religious resume. But beloved, what Jesus is saying, let her be there. It's not proof of salvation. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? Do you know how many books I've written? Do you know how many books I've read? Do you know how many degrees I have? Do you know what universities I've been to, Bible colleges, whatever? Do you know how many mission fields I've been on? Do you know how much I've given? How much I, I, I? Do you hear the common pronoun there? It's all about me. But not so with salvation from God. It's all about him. These individuals, they describe, Jesus says, here's our public ministry. We engaged in prophecy. We prophesied in your name. In exorcism, we cast out demons in your name. In miracles, we did many mighty works in your name. Do you know how much we did? And we used your name all the time. All the time we were using your name. Okay, let's try that at Ace Hardware. You go in this afternoon or this week, and you say, yeah, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy this row and that row and the other row and eat all that stuff you got outside loaded on the truck. Yeah, go ahead and just put that on uh, Brian's name. Yeah, Brian's name. Yeah, his name. In his name, I'm taking all of this stuff. Is that going to endear you to me? I don't think so. That's abusing my name. That's using my name when I didn't give you my name. And people are saying, we used your name. Doesn't that endear us to you? No. Which is very different if someone says, hey, I need you to run an errand for me. We go down there and just tell them, I'll take care of it. Use my name. I gave you my name to use. It's very different. One is stealing. One is helping. And this is the confusion that these individuals have. You know, we, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. This is powerful ministry here. There's a lot of things that you can find that are appealing to this in ministries and in churches around that are doing these kind of things. And that is not a guarantee that they belong to Jesus Christ, beloved. 
Sinclair Ferguson, he says it this way. He says, it's possible to exercise spiritual gifts, yet be a total stranger to God's saving grace. The astounding things men can do in public is no certain indication of where they stand in private before the judgment of Jesus Christ. We think about famous people who have claimed the name of Christ. And whether in this life or they pass away and then things come out about them that are heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, I thought they were a Christian. But there's nothing that will be missed before the all-seeing eye of the Lord, beloved. He will not miss anything. So then, who's out? All who are camouflaged by religion. Number three, third question, well, what's the difference? What's the difference here? And the difference is this. There's a personal connection to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. There's a personal connection between the first group and the second group, who's in, who's out. Well, what's the difference? It's a personal connection to Jesus. And the word that is left open there in the blank, Savior. See, it's all about who am I viewing as Savior? Is this a shared deal? Like I did some things, I did some spiritual things, I went to church, I was baptized, I did the other, I gave, I, 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 and Jesus, of course, I, I, you know, I, I'm thankful for him that I found him. Here's, here's, you know, newsflash. You didn't find God. Dead men don't find anything. Blind, blinded, spiritually blinded, we don't find our way out of anywhere. It's God who finds, because he is the shepherd searching, he finds us. He saves us. It's his mercy. And so at the end of the day, we have one song in heaven, Revelation says, and it's worthy is the lamb who is slain. There's no mixture of I am. No, it's worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. He is worthy. He is worthy. We are needy. And we pray that often. The genuine follower has responded in faith to the gospel and they have been born again. And the, the, here's where we see Jesus' warning is sobering. And he moves in, in verses 22 and 23, we see that the day of judgment is unavoidable. We must get ready today. Verse 22, on that day. On that day, this is the day of judgment. This day is unavoidable. There's no exceptions. There's no human that's like, well, do you know who I am? Do you know how much I'm worth? I'm gonna skip that day. No one, no one misses this. You may have missed some appointments this last week or been late. You, we will not be late for this day, this appointment. Either you will bear the punishment for your sin for all eternity or Christ bore the punishment for your sin. That's the two options. He bore your sin in your place and you've repented and trusted in him or you will bear the punishment for your sin justly for all eternity separated from him in a place called hell. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. 
And in just as it is appointed for man to die once, so that's the end of the whole idea of reincarnation and karma, going round and round and round. No, we live one time, we die, and after that comes judgment. Verse 28, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many. Why, why don't we have mass here? Because Jesus was offered once. And never again will he be humiliated in that way as he was suspended between heaven and earth, naked on a cross for you and for me. He'll never be shamed again in that way. He bore our shame, past tense. He was crucified, past tense. He was buried, past tense. He rose from the dead, past tense. He is coming again, future tense. He reigns right now, and there's a time in all of the world and in human history where he's patient and people say he's weak. And Peter writes and says, no, no, he's not weak. He's waiting on you, stubborn individual. He's giving you another opportunity today to hear this message and receive him as the good Savior and Lord that he is. And he doesn't owe you that. But he's patient with you and he's long-suffering with you. And he hasn't repaid us according to our iniquity wants to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, he dealt with the first time, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Does that describe you and me? Eagerly waiting for him to return, or are we just too busy? Got so much going on, pastor. Mm, yeah, we're busy. The day of judgment is unavoidable. Letter B, the declaration of Jesus is indisputable. The declaration of Jesus is indisputable, and Jesus will declare, this is what it says in verse 23, and then I will declare to them. This is his declaration. It's actually Jesus' confession. So this is where they confess as Lord, confess, confess, but Jesus has a confession, and the confession that he makes, what he says that is true, is I never knew you. It's not what we say about Jesus that's most important. It's what he says about us. It's what the Father said about the Son. This is my beloved Son. It's what the Father says about Christ. Do we say the same thing about Jesus that the Father says about Jesus? Because that's what matters. He knows his sheep. The declaration from Jesus is absolutely indisputable. There will be no arguments that day. I, I do believe that people think that they will pass away, see what happens, stand before God, and somehow do what they've always done in every other situation, and they'll talk their way out of it. Do you know what was happened to me? Do you know how I suffered? Do you know this? Do you know that? that they, people think that's what is gonna happen on Judgment Day, and I'll talk my way out of this like I've talked my way out of other things before. No. The declaration of Jesus is indisputable. And lastly, we see here, the decision from Jesus is final. When he says these words, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, you workers of iniquity, that's it. You know, remember the game show? Is that your final decision? That is what is being asked of you today while you're living. Who is Jesus? How are you related to Jesus? 
that moment your heart stops and eternity commences for you, your opportunity for faith is over. The opportunity for faith of your coworkers is over. The opportunity for faith for your neighbors is over. There's no mulligan, there's no do-over. This is a sobering message. This is a message to not be taken lightly at all. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. The verdict that Jesus declares will be the truth about the false convert. Jesus says you're an evildoer. Why? Because they were lacking, saving, genuine faith. They lived contrary to God's perfect standard. But they said, but I got the confession down. I know what to say. I know when to repeat something. I know what not to say. I know what to wear to church. I know all of these things. I've got all this down. Do you know Christ? J.C. Ryle, he says this. He says, the day of judgment will reveal strange things. The hopes of many who are thought great Christians while they lived will be utterly confounded. The rightness of their religion will be exposed and put to shame before the whole world. It will then be proved that to be saved means something more than making a profession. We must make a practice of our Christianity as well as a profession. Remember what we said? The sermon is not just to be admired. That's a great sermon, Jesus. That's amazing. The Sermon on the Mount, change your life. It's to be applied, heard, understood, obeyed. Listen to what John Stott says. He says, the reason for the rejection by him, by Jesus, is that their profession was verbal, not moral. It concerned their lips only and not their life. They called Jesus Lord, Lord, but never submitted to his lordship or obeyed the will of his heavenly father. They had the right thing to say, but there was no change in their life. There was no transformation in their life. So who's in? Those who are converted in righteousness. Who's out? All who are camouflaged by religion. What's the difference? A personal connection to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So the fourth question is where it hits home for you and for me. Where am I in relation to Jesus Christ? Where am I in relation to Jesus Christ? This is something that you can't answer for your spouse and we can't answer for our children. We can prayerfully consider this. Where are they? Where is my child in relationship to Jesus Christ? Where are my children? Where are my grandchildren in relationship to Jesus Christ? There's no guarantee that this will just go on and they've got years and I'm sure they have decades. We don't know that. We don't know that. News breaks this morning of a Chicago police officer slain last night in a in a traffic stop, an officer dead, criminals dead. Life is over. Do you realize how many people, just moment by moment, and death takes us by surprise. This is the question for you and for me. Where am I in relation to Jesus Christ? Am I genuine or am I fake as a follower? Am I a disciple, a true disciple, or do I just call myself a disciple? There's four cases, uh, case studies I want us to consider as we close. 
Four individuals in the New Testament for us to consider and say, well, do I see myself in here? Where, where am I maybe in here? The first one we can look at is Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot, this individual loved money more than Jesus. He was so close to Jesus. We could actually say he loved himself. All who love money, it's the root of all evil, the love of money. And there was Judas, so close to Jesus, three years. Do you realize he was part of those powerful works? That he can say, Lord, Lord, I was on those. You sent us out in, in, as apostles. You sent us out as disciples. And we cast out demons. And we healed people in your name. And we spoke in your name. And he knew what to say. That's Judas. And yet he never was converted in righteousness. Judas was absolutely camouflaged by religion, his entire discipleship, and the only one who knew who it was that he was fake was Jesus and himself. John chapter 12, verse 4, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, and this is at the, this is when uh, this uh, anointing of Jesus and in the perfume filled the room and there's Judas looking at this these these this money was wasted on his feet he didn't know Jesus he didn't love Jesus he loved money he loved himself I wanted that why didn't he ask me the treasurer of the band here what to do with that money. Doesn't that sound like a lot of church friction? Why didn't they ask me about the whatever, whatever, whatever? Isn't it supposed to be get my will done? No. Well, what's God's will? Let's do that. There he is. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? John 12, 6. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was, a, here's a clue, a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. I could have had that. And instead, it was wasted on Jesus, Lord Jesus. Yeah, but not Savior to Judas. He was his own light. He was dark. There's another individual we meet, an individual we meet in 3 John. His name is Diotrephes. Here's a man in the church, and John warns uh, those, and he says about Diotrephes, this individual, he loves to have preeminence more than Jesus. He loves himself first, king me first. That's Diotrephes. In the church, do you know how long I've been here? Do you know what I do? Do you know who I am? You're going to listen to me, and if you don't listen to me, I'm going to make it really difficult on you. This is Diotrephes. So John writes... And his name goes down in the word of God for all time. Third John, verse 9. I have written something to the church. But the elder, John the apostle, he says, But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first. Doesn't that sound like a kid? Me first. Me first. I was here first. Ginger and I were in a store a couple weeks ago. And a lady stepped out of line to go get something and came back to line. And the lady that was behind her, look, I've been in line. And it was awkward. Ginger and I just kind of turned. We just like, mind our own business. I don't know what's about to happen here, but this is uncomfortable. Me first. That's Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority, 
Verse 10, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. Talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. This is a divisive individual. I wish I could tell you that this was the last person to ever be in a church anywhere that was divisive wanting to be first. And if you sided with the leadership of the church, then they would do everything in their power to destroy you and the leadership and the church. That's Diotrephes. Hmm. Lord, am I Judas? Lord, am I a Diotrephes? Do I think the church is here to help me be first? Then there's another individual. His name is Demas. And Paul writes and warns Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Demas loved this present world more than Jesus. You've seen the theme? Judas, he loved money. Diotrephes, he, all of these individuals knew and they used Jesus' name. They were connected, highly connected and influential in, in discipleship and in church ministry and desperately lost. Demas, 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, Paul writes, and he's writing to Timothy. He says, do your best to come to me soon. Hey, Timothy, can you get here quickly? Verse 10, for Demas, 2 Timothy 4, 9, in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. He just lays it out. He's gone. Demas, he loves the world. Diotrephes, he loves being first. Judas, he loved himself. He, he, he loved money. He helped himself to money. As if Jesus, do you ever wonder if Jesus even looked at Judas when he was pocketing all that money? Did Jesus ever look at him like he did the apostle Peter the night of the betrayal when the rooster finally crowed and the Bible says that they connected eyes? You think ever Jesus looked at Judas and he was like, ooh, uh, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm doing something, I'm working and I'm gonna get on that vine and then look back over at Jesus, he's still looking at me, he's still looking at me. Then I wanna introduce you to a man named John Mark. John Mark his story is one of failure that was forgiven. For a while, he loved his own comfort more than Jesus. And he was with Paul, and he was with Barnabas, and they were on a, a, a mission trip that, that persecution heated up against them. And Paul loved, his, or, or John Mark loved comfort, and he just, he couldn't handle it. He couldn't hang with them anymore, and he, he quit. He turned back. But that's not the end of the story, because if we sit long enough and talk, we can probably all share accounts and times when we were following maybe faithfully and then something took us down for a while. Something distracted us for a while. Something caught our attention that we knew shouldn't have preeminence in our life. Jesus should have first place, but there I went and my job and my family and all these things or a sport or a hobby and suddenly I'm growing cold and distant from the Lord Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean, oh, you're probably not a Christian? Now, I'm not saying that, and I'm not the one to say that over you. You have to ask these 
questions. Kept on questions, <laughs> intersecting that. John Mark, listen in Acts chapter 12. This guy had a godly heritage. The night that Peter was arrested, he's in prison, he's sleeping. The church is praying for him. They all went to John Mark's house. That's where Peter went. They're praying, and Peter knocks on the door. They're at his house. This guy had a godly heritage. He's off to a good start. He's got a head start among other people. Acts 12, 25, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Here's the guy, man. This is, this is gonna be an up and coming. I, I'm, we're, they're investing into him. He's gonna be a leader. I mean, we're getting older. This guy's gonna take it on. He's gonna lead. Well, in Acts 13, the missionary team encountered severe persecution. And when they got to Pamphylia, John Mark bailed. He quit. Acts 13 and verse 13, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Quitter, failure, loser, the battle's getting hot and this young buck is out of here. How do you think Paul and Barnabas are feeling about this young man. He's related to Barnabas, so that pain's a little closer. That's his family member. No doubt they prayed for him, were confused by what had happened, by what they thought and where this was going, and he just quit. But then in Acts chapter 15 at the end, just turn there, put your eyes on it. Acts chapter 15. I haven't had you move around too much in your Bibles this morning. Acts chapter 15, we get down to the end and the missionary team is ready to go out again. They're ready to launch again. And here comes John Mark saying, can I go, guys? I'd like to go. Now, there's a lot that I can identify with about Paul. I can understand Paul saying, no way, no way. I trusted you before, young man, and you quit. And you, in the, the battle got hot and you sat down. You went to the bench. You went to the locker room. You showered and you left the field house. And there was more game to be played and you left us. You quit. I'm not putting you back in that moment again. I can understand that. There are other people who are more prone to be like Barnabas, but they loved him. They still see that there's something that's useful in him. And this contention that happens between Paul and Barnabas, it's over John Mark. Verse 36, Acts 15. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. No, I don't want to take him. Yeah, we should take him. He's different. He's repented. He's sorry. No, no, we got out into the moment. No, I, I'm not taking with him. No way, he's not going with us again. Well, how does this work out? Verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Paul and Barnabas split ways over this young man. They split. 
Well, is that going to be the end of the gospel? Is that going to be end of the missions team? Is the mission and the gospel and Christianity going to fade now? Nope, not on God's sovereign plan. Now, instead of one team going out, now there's two going out. Now there's another opening. And look what happens. Sharp disagreement. Verse 40, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So here's an opportunity where it's all going to fall apart, right? Nope. Nope, not, not in God's sovereign plan. Well, who was right? Was it Paul or was it Barnabas? Yes. Now you see why you need an eldership and a plurality of leaders in a church because here's the glory of God. They, they argued their position. They took a stance. They took a position. They still loved the Lord Jesus, but they disagreed with one another. And the work rolled on. The ministry went on. They didn't say, well, you're not even a Christian then. No. They each had a very confident position and they held to it and they went forward in the gospel. But look at the end of the story. All right, everybody likes the story of a comeback kid, the redemption story, the no-hoper. He was gone. He was washed out in drugs and alcohol. He was so talented, so athletic, all these abilities, and he just fell apart. But don't you always root for the underdog to see someone come back? To see somebody come back and they gave no hope to him. They counted him out, but look at him run. Just saw that story of the American, uh, Native American years ago coming from the back and winning gold. And they interviewed him this year in Olympics. And you're like, yeah, that's an awesome story. He's a no-hoper. Wait a second, there's a little hope. Look at him go. He's coming through. He's through the tape first, gold medal. This is John Mark. And look at what Paul says later in life, 2 Timothy 4.11, and he says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. You see what you hear here? What's going on? Paul, older man, he looks back, and he's now thankful Barnabas stuck to his guns. He took Mark along. And beyond that, Help me with the books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark. <laughs> God has the last word, beloved. You think there's no hope. You think, oh, I've blown it. I've gone too far. Then John Mark is your guy. And Paul the apostle, who didn't just stick to his guns and write the young man off, but later in life, he says, bring him. He's not just useful to me. He's very useful. What is he doing? He's commending that young man. He's thankful to God for that young man. And that young man had to do some serious consideration of, is Jesus my Savior and Lord, or do I just call him like Demas, like Diotrephes, like Judas? Lord, Lord, done all kinds of stuff. I mean, I was there on the work day when no one else was there, Lord. Uh, how's your heart? God always has the final words of love. Beware of false conversions. The four questions, who's in? Those who are converted in righteousness. The blood of Christ. Who's out? Those who are camouflaged in religion. And it's so hard to get that person who's so religious. They have that resume. They've done all these things. I've tried to be good. I'm not that bad. Do you have a savior? Well, to have a savior means help. 
rescue me. You have to cry out that. You can't say, hey, you just hang out right there. I respect you. Like Muslims say, peace be upon him, Jesus. No, he's not asking for your blessing. You need his blessing. You need his forgiveness. You need him. The real him is revealed in Scripture. What's the difference? A personal connection to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And where are you? Where are you in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we embrace and live out this sermon? Listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, today's the day. Tell God, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. I need you to forgive me. Surrender your life to him. Confess him as Lord, as master, as savior. And here's the question for us all. Over lunch this afternoon or dinner tonight or wherever you are in just interacting, this is the very straightforward and simple question. After hearing and reflecting on this sermon, what is my next step? What is your next step? Where are you? You think about those individuals we looked at in the New Testament. Where are you with Christ? Where are you with this church? What's your next step? Maybe you've come to faith in Christ, but you haven't been baptized and publicly made that profession of faith. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe you're like John Mark and you're long gone, but you know the way back. Come. Come to him. He's waiting for you. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, humbly, we bow before you. We thank you for the salvation that you offer because you were willing to lay down your life for sinners. We thank you that you reign and you rule and you've given us your spirit. So we pray with the writer of Hebrews, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.